The joy of dying. The joy of jumping off the cliff of surrender to Jesus. I said, let me walk in the fields. He said, no, walk in the town. I said, there are no flowers there. He said, no flowers, but a crown. I said, but the skies are black. There's nothing but noise and din. And he wept as he sent me back. There is more, he said, there is sin. I said, but the air is thick and the fogs are veiling the sun. He answered, yet souls are sick and souls in the dark undone. I said, I shall miss the light and friends will miss me, they say. He answered, choose tonight if I am to miss you or they. I pleaded for time to be given. He said, is it hard to decide? It will not seem hard in heaven to have followed the steps of the guide. I cast one look at the fields, then set my face to the town. He said, my child, do you yield? Will you leave the flowers for the crown? Then into his hand went mine, and into my heart came he, and I walk in a light divine, the path I had feared to see. My friends, the life of surrender is an ugly life to our nature. By nature, when we look at the life of self-denial and self-sacrifice that God is calling us to, it is a life we fear to see. It is a life of unrelenting, self-denial, self-sacrifice, discomfort, suffering even, for the glory of God and the good of others. And by nature, we look at that life through the sin-stained portals of our life, and we say, that is an ugly life. Who wants to do it? Even the word surrender has unpleasant connotations, you know? Surrender is what happens to the bad guys, right? Surrender is what happens to the losers. The, the word surrender leaves a bad taste in our mouth. But it doesn't have to be that way in the Christian life. My friend, surrender is a wonderful word in the Christian life because it means throwing ourselves with utter abandon into the arms of the Almighty God. There's no downside there. Surrender means dying in the arms of Jesus so that we can be resurrected to newness of life in Him. We can't receive resurrection power unless we're willing to die first. Surrender is a wonderful word. The real irony of this whole thing is that the truly surrendered life is the beautiful life, but it looks ugly to us. And the life that looks beautiful, the life that's detracting us, the worldly way, that's the truly ugly life. It's exactly opposite than the way we sometimes see it. The life of surrender is one of privilege, peace, pleasure, and power. And so very quickly this morning, let's look at these four wonderful aspects of this thing that we call surrendering to Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples at one point, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Remember that? And do uh, you remember that a lot of his followers at that time decided that was a little bit radical? And they decided that it was time to stop following him. Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, Will you leave me too? Do you remember what Peter said? Peter said something uncharacteristically profound. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? It's an interesting question. Lord, to whom shall we go? What are our other options? If we're not walking the narrow way, where are we going to be? Lord, to whom shall we go? Besides the narrow way, what other choices do we have? If we want true peace, true pleasure, and true freedom, we don't have any choice. God's way is awesome. God's way is the only good way. Well, this question, to whom shall I go, has been studied in depth. 
for you and for me. It has been studied by one of the most qualified scientists in all of Earth's history. And the results of that study have been given to us today. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. That was our scripture reading this morning. How many of you were encouraged by that wonderful scripture reading? Right? Meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless, utterly meaningless. What an encouraging scripture to find in the Bible. It is an encouraging scripture. Because this is Solomon's conclusion. When he studied this question, to whom shall we go? Everything else is meaningless. And fortunately for us, Solomon studied this question in depth. He says, I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. To whom shall we go if we don't follow Jesus? To whom shall we go? Well, fortunately for us, when God gave Solomon this, this question to study, he also gave Solomon everything he would need to study it in depth and to study it well. The Bible says that God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. Now, do you think that's a lot of discernment and wisdom? Like the sand that is on the seashore. Wouldn't you like to have that? God said to Solomon, Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. So Solomon was highly qualified, highly qualified to study this question, Lord, to whom shall we go? And it wasn't just the wisdom that God gave Solomon, it was also the laboratory. The Bible describes Solomon's laboratory. He says, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. The delights of the heart of man, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, what happened? My wisdom stayed with me. God was equipping Solomon to study this very question. If we don't follow Jesus, to whom else shall we go? Solomon goes on, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, a lot of it was meaningless. Is that what it says? Everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon's conclusion? Where else shall we go? My friends, we can know one thing for a fact, and that is you and I will never have as much wisdom as Solomon had. You and I will never have as much fame and popularity as Solomon had. You and I will never have as much wealth or power as Solomon had. You, will not, you and I will not have as much pleasure as Solomon had. In everything, God gave Solomon all these things in abundance so that Solomon could prove 
once and for all that even everything is not enough. Even everything is not enough. Without God, it's all meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Well, not being content to take Solomon at his word, I did my own research in my own humble way. I decided to look at this subject. And the more that I indulged self, the more I became sick and physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually weak. The more that I indulge self, the more I become unmotivated and unfulfilled and unsatisfying. And I came to the same conclusion that Solomon did. Let's, let's look at that conclusion together. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's look at um, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 together. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. This is the conclusion. Last chapter in the book of Ecclesiastes, the conclusion of the matter. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Solomon says, The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. This is, this is Solomon's summary statement of all of his research. This is what he found through all of his research, all of his many, many years of researching this important topic. This is where Solomon came. Fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. It turns out that Peter was right. <laughs> when Jesus asked them, will you guys go too? Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Peter was right. There really was no other option. If you want true peace, true pleasure, true freedom, Jesus is the only way. There was once an Indian chief who uh, a missionary had visited and was trying to uh, show the, the, mission, the Indian chief this way to Jesus. And the Indian said, I have followed the Indian road all my life. I will follow it to the end. The chief was not willing to follow Jesus. But you know what? A short time later, the chief was on his deathbed. And he called the missionary to him. And he said this, can I turn to Jesus' road now? My road stops here. It has no path through the valley. Jesus' way is the only way that goes through the valley of death. To whom else shall we go? To whom else shall we go? The chief learned something that each one of us needs to learn. God's way is awesome. God's way is the way to true pleasure, true freedom, true meaning in life. Lord, to whom else shall we go? It is a privilege to jump off this cliff of surrender and to give ourselves fully to the almighty God and to enjoy from him the true freedom and satisfaction and meaning and pleasure that comes from God. It is one of the greatest privileges that God has ever given us. Watchman Nee once said this, the day that you heard you did not need to die, you felt this was a great gospel. Now, in another day, you are hearing you do not need to live. This also is a great gospel. Isn't that so true? When we found out that we could live for eternity, wasn't that a great gospel? God saves us, he forgives us, he allows us to go to heaven with him. And now we're learning after we learned that, we might have learned that, well, yeah, but we also need to die. 
to die in Christ in the arms of Jesus so that we can be resurrected in newness of life. This also is a great gospel. The privilege, the peace, the pleasure, and the power of surrender. Ellen White puts it this way. True happiness will be the result of every self-denial, every crucifixion of self. Where else should we go? To whom else can we go? Throwing ourselves with utter abandon into the arms of Jesus is the greatest privilege that God has given mankind. But it's not just a privilege, it's also the source of the greatest peace. Peace that passes understanding. You can't see this picture very well, I apologize for that, but that's a submarine. Underwater. Kids, you guys see that submarine? Isn't that a cool looking submarine? There was this once this submarine captain who went out to do some sea trials on the brand new submarine. And uh, he spent, I don't remember how many days underwater. But when he came back, the people at the base were very anxious. And they said, how in the world did you survive that terrible storm out there on the, on the ocean? Do you know what he said? He said, what storm? What storm? Wouldn't it be so wonderful to be so thoroughly drowned in the will of God that the storms of life pass us by and we say, what storm? What storm? To be so fully drowned in Jesus that uh, we have nothing to fear, nothing to be anxious about, nothing to worry. This is the peace that passes understanding that the Bible talks about. This incredible peace of, being, of giving ourselves to Jesus wholly. I had, um, by the way, have you ever noticed how when you don't own something that you don't worry about it as much? Have you ever noticed that? I had some friends who had a house that was sinking, literally. Their foundation was sinking. And it was causing cracks in their walls, and it was causing all kinds of problems. And they had it investigated, and they realized it was going to cost thousands and thousands of dollars to fix the foundation. And then they had to go and redo a lot of the house, and it was just a, a real mess. And you know, I felt really bad for them, and I empathized with them. But I remember thinking, I didn't say it out loud, but I remember thinking, boy, I'm glad that's not my house. Boy, I'm glad that's not my house. You know, there's a certain freedom to not owning anything. Because then we don't have to worry about it. There is a certain freedom in giving all of ourselves, all of our possessions, all of our lives, every cent of our money, every synapse of our brain, every cell of our body, and every cent of our money, and every second of our time. There's something very freeing about that, to give it all completely to God. There was um, once a missionary named James Calvert, and he and a group of missionaries were going to Fiji to live among the treacherous cannibals there. And on the way, as they were going up this river, the captain of the boat that was taking them said, you guys are fools to go. You're going to die out there. They're going to kill you. Do you know what James Calvert said? He said, we, we died before we came here. We died before we came here. Isn't that a wonderful thing? They can't take my life. I've already died. It's a wonderful thing to surrender to, to Jesus. Do you have fear in your life about anything? Do you have fear about your health, about your finances? Do you have fear about anything? Maybe it's because you haven't let go of it. Maybe it's because you haven't dropped it off the cliff of surrender and then went joyfully leaping after it into the arms of Jesus. That is why Andrew Murray says that God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. Isn't that a wonderful thought? God is ready to assume full responsibility to the life every part of the life that is wholly yielded to him. So, 
That means if the floods come and you see your house floating down the street, you can say, oh Lord, look, your house is floating down the street. Or when the fires come and your house is burning down, you can say, wow, Lord, that's interesting. Your house, it's on fire. If we get into a car wreck and we lose our only means of transportation, we'll say, Lord, this is going to be interesting because I don't know how you're going to solve this problem, but your car is gone now. When we're diagnosed with stage four terminal inoperable cancer, we can say, wow, Lord, I'm sure glad this body is yours because if it was mine, I'd be panicking right about now. Isn't it wonderful to give God everything, all of ourselves? It is a great privilege, and it is the source of incredible peace. Sometimes we think of the yoke of Christ as a burden, but it is not, it is not a burden. It is a privilege to be held close to the Almighty God. Where else do you want to be? <laughs> think of it. If you had your choice of being anywhere at all, would you rather be anywhere than held close to the God of eternity, the God who is in charge of the whole universe? Where else would you want to be? It's a great privilege to be yoked to him. So surrendering ourselves to God is one of the greatest privileges of the Christian life. And it gives us peace, peace that passes understanding, peace that is incomprehensible is the peace that God wants to give us. Remember that? All things work together for what? For good. What peace, what joy, what pleasure it is to know that all things work together for, for good for those who love God and are called according to his privilege. So, uh, his pleasure. The privilege of surrender we've looked at. We've looked at the peace that comes from surrender. Now let's look at the pleasure of surrender. A, um, a, a man who was newly converted was talking to his friend. He says, well, Jack, old fellow, I hear that you have given up all your pleasures. No, no, said the friend, the fact lies all the other way. I have just found all my pleasures and have given up only all my follies. That's what it is. That's what surrender is. We, we often think of surrender as being, oh, I have to give up all my, what, you know, name it, fill in the blank. And yet, it's actually finding. It's actually finding true freedom and satisfaction, and meaning, and motivation, and pleasure. It's actually finding all these things when we give them all to Jesus. Sometimes it's hard to remember that God is the one who invented pleasure, right? God's the one who invented the whole concept of pleasure. The psalmist didn't forget. He says, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your hand, there are pleasures forever. Before I gave God my diet, I used to enjoy uh, foods that were quite spicy. Not hot spicy, but just you know, the spices and things. And um, after I gave God my diet, he began to convict me that I needed to, to get back to a more wholesome, um, simple diet. And I noticed something interesting when I did that. Did you know that there are actually subtle, but really good flavors of food underneath the spices? Did you know that? I didn't know that. That was new to me. Wow, this food actually has flavor. Who knew, right? It's the same way with the Christian life. The devil is trying to overstimulate our lives so that we do not recognize and enjoy the subtle flavors of life and the subtle flavors of God and his word. God's way is the truly satisfying, pleasurable way. Subtle, God's pleasures are usually more subtle, but they're much more meaningful and much more satisfying. You know, God's the one who invented our taste buds. 
He's the one that gave us the ability to have pleasure in what we eat, didn't he? Yeah. And he's the one that gave us all these wonderful foods that we can uh, get that pleasure from. He's the one who gave us all of our senses. He's the one that, that makes it possible for us to feel the caress of the wind on our skin and to feel the sun warming up our bodies. God is the one who invented sexual pleasure, that physical and emotional bonding that God knew would be so important for in the marriage relationship. God is the one who invented our brains and gave us the ability to have pleasure in enjoying a good story. All these things, God is the one who invented it. The problem is, is that for every good thing that God has invented, the devil has a counterfeit. And the devil's counterfeits are unhealthy and un unsatisfying. Usually, the devil's counterfeits are more stimulating, at least at first, but they're always unhealthy and unsatisfying. God is a God of balance. You see this in his balance of justice with mercy. You see this in how he created the earth and how close it is to the sun, close enough to get the heat, but far enough away so it doesn't fry. You see the balance of God in the night and day that he created. You see the balance of God in body chemistry and in the bilateral symmetry of the arms and legs. You see God's balance throughout nature. God is a God of balance, which means if God is a God of balance, then guess what? The devil's going to try to unbalance us, right? The devil is the imbalancing factor in our life. And you know, the devil has become so successful at unbalancing us that when somebody comes back to the Lord and surrenders their life to him and God balances him, he looks unbalanced to the rest of the world, even those around him in the church sometimes abnormal has become the new normal to the point when we actually become aligned with God we look unbalanced take for example of this unbalanced sugar how many of you have ever eaten sugar cane kids any sugar cane it's good stuff isn't it it's, it's a little bit sweet it's not really overly sweet and it's got a lot of fiber in it it's very difficult if not impossible to overdo sugar cane you try to eat too much of it, you're going to get a jaw that's going to ache before you overdo the sugar, probably. But take that sugar cane and condense it, refine it, and process it to the point where it becomes table sugar, and when you have something that is now intrinsically unbalanced. And now, in just one or two bites of a candy bar, you can flood your system with sugar. That's what the devil does. He takes the good thing of God, and he condenses it, refines it, artificializes it and processes it to make it more stimulating but unsatisfying and unhealthy. Take for example cheese. God gave us milk to drink, at least for babies, right? It's a good thing. But take that milk and condense it, refine it, artificialize it and process it to the point where it becomes almost pure fat and it's really good, I'll admit. But it's intrinsically unbalanced. Fat is one of the last things that we need in our diet. Did you know that food manufacturers actually study how to make food addicting and unsatisfying at the same time? That's the perfect profit margin for them, right? That's the, that's the perfect scenario. Addicting but unsatisfying. How many of you find it easy to eat just one potato chip? That's not a coincidence, folks. That's science. There's science behind that. And it's not just food that the devil tries to unbalance. Take movies, for example. 
There is enough drama, action, and romance in one two-hour movie to last a lifetime. It's condensed, it's refined, it's artificialized, it's processed, it's put into that movie, and it actually overstimulates us and makes it hard for us to enjoy the subtle pleasures of the real life scenario, right? Not the Indiana Jones life, the real life. The devil is trying to make it hard for us to enjoy the real life. We are told that there is no influence in our land more powerful to poison the imagination and to destroy religious impressions and to blunt the relish for the tranquil pleasures and sober realities of life than theatrical amusements. That's what the devil wants to do. Look at this. He wants to poison our imagination. He wants to destroy religious impression. And most of all, he wants to blunt our relish for the tranquil pleasures. That's what the devil's trying to do. It's not a bad thing to give up worldly pleasure. There's no downside to going God's way. His way is awesome all the time. She goes on to say, the love for these scenes increases with every indulgence as the desire for intoxicating drink strengthens with its use. So, God is a God of balance, and the devil is trying to unbalance us in any way he possibly can. The world is unbalanced. It tries to condense, refine, artificialize, and process the good things of God to the point where they become unsatisfying and unhealthy and difficult to enjoy the good things that God has given us. Providence has been leading the people of God out from the extravagant habits of the world, away from the indulgence of appetite and passion, to take their stand upon the platform of what? Self-denial and temperance in all things. The people whom God is leading will be peculiar. They will not be like the world. With a lavish hand, God has provided us with rich and varied bounties for our sustenance and what? And enjoyment. God wants us to enjoy the food we eat. But in order for us to enjoy the natural appetite, which will preserve health and prolong life, he restricts the appetite. He says, beware, restrain, deny a natural appetite. My friends, self-denial is not a bad thing. Self-denial is simply going God's way over our own natural way. By nature, I want to eat these things which I know are not healthy. God says, no, eat the healthy things. So when I'm saying, okay, Lord, I'll go your way, that's denying self. There's no downside to that. Self-denying is a privilege. It's a blessing to give ourselves wholly to God. Just like when you eat a donut before drinking orange juice, what happens to the orange juice? It makes it sour. That's what the devil's trying to do to us in our spiritual life. He's trying to overstimulate us so that we cannot enjoy and relish the spiritual things that God has given us, the subtle, meaningful pleasures of life. But those who in everything make God first and last and best are the happiest people in the world. Those who in everything make God first and last and best are the happiest people in the world. That's our key phrase this morning. Let's all read that together out loud, shall we? Those who in everything make God first and last and best are the happiest people in the world. My friends, God is a God of pleasure. He's the one who invented it. He knows how to give it to you. But his pleasure alone is healthy and satisfying. The devil's way is not. The bad news is that by nature we are attracted to the devil's way. And that's why it's so wonderful to surrender ourselves to God. Surrender doesn't have to be a bad word. Surrender is a life of privilege, of peace, and of pleasure. 
but it's also a life of power. Let's look now very quickly at the power of surrender. By nature, we don't, we're not attracted to surrender. We're not attracted to self-denial, self-sacrifice, and discomfort and affliction. We're not attracted to that at all. But the power of surrender is that God can get us to that place where we truly relish the life of self-denial. Think about that for a minute. That's supernatural power, something that we can't do for ourselves. God's power truly transforms us to enable us to relish God's way rather than our own sinful nature way. Did you know that salt is poisonous to 98% of the plants on this earth? 98% of the plants on this earth will die if you put salt in their soil. Whew, that's a lot of plants. It, it penetrates their cells and it upsets the delicate ion balance in them. They shrivel up and die. But there is a very small number of plants on this earth that not only tolerate salty soil, but thrive in it. In fact, if you looked at a graph of how much salt was in their soil, at the point where they are thriving the most, other plants are dead. They truly thrive on salty conditions. Their peak fitness is at sodium levels that kill other plants. These uh, flowers are called halophytes, which means literally in Latin, salt plants, halophytes. There's a third group of plants, besides the, the, the ones who die in salt and the halophytes who love and thrive in salt, there's a third group of plants that scientists have found. They're called the false halophytes. These plants live in salty conditions, but they don't thrive on salt, they avoid it. They're also called salt avoiders. What they do is they filter the salt out at the roots so that it never gets in their, their systems. Or if it does get in, they pump it right back out again to the pores in the, in the stems. They are salt avoiders, salt tolerators. As lukewarm Christians today, we can compare ourselves to those false halophytes. We want to thrive on God's will. And we may even seem to thrive on God's will. But a lot of times, deep down, we are avoiding God's will. We are merely tolerating God's way. But God's plan for us is to transform us so that we are true halophytes, true salt lovers, so that we thrive in this life of self-denial, self-sacrifice, following Jesus wherever he goes. That is the power of surrender, the power of God to convert us so that we become truly salt-loving Christians. Like the psalmist, we can say, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. That's the surrender. Trust also in him. He will do it. That's the power of God in the surrendered life. When we get out of his way and let him be almighty God in us, he transforms us in ways that we cannot imagine, in supernatural ways. The psalmist goes on. I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is written in my mind. Is that what it says? No, they know the law of God. It's in their mind, but where else is it? It's in their heart. And the heart is the, is the, the root of the love relationship, right? God wants his law to be not only in our minds, but also in our heart. He wants us to desire to do it. He wants us to relish his will. And that's what he's promising to do for us. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love, the psalmist says. And I like the way, I like the way Jeremiah puts it. He says, your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. 
Your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. That is the miracle of transformation that God can produce in your life and mine. The supernatural power to help us to actually delight in this ugly life. The life that looks ugly to us as with our sinful nature, God is able to truly transform that so that we become, um, so that we, we start thinking of it as a beautiful life. That we realize how beautiful and how much of a privilege it is and how much power and peace and pleasure is in this life that God wants for us. God can transform us to that place. So we've looked at the privilege of surrender, the peace of surrender, the pleasure of surrender, and the power of surrender. There is nothing more wonderful than dying in the arms of Jesus. That is the privilege of being yoked to him, held close to the almighty God. There is nothing more peaceful than giving God all of us in every aspect of our life. We have nothing to worry about. It's all been given to God. There's nothing more pleasurable, more satisfying, more enjoyable, more meaningful than the pleasure that God gives us the true, subtle, meaningful pleasures, and the power of God to convert us, to get us to that place where we enjoy the quote-unquote ugly life, and we relish it, delighting in the Almighty God. In the context of surrender, my friends, in the context of Christianity, surrender is not a dirty word. Surrender is a wonderful thing. It is dying in the arms of Jesus. It is being yoked to him, held close to the Almighty God. Where else would you want to be? Lord, to whom else shall we go? It is throwing ourselves in, with utter abandon into the arms of God. Then into his hand went mine, and into my heart came he, and I walk in a light divine, the path I had feared to see. My friends, I, my prayer for each one of us in this room right now is that we are all living that life, the joyful life of dying wholly to self. If you have not surrendered yourself to Jesus, I encourage you to think seriously about it. Where else can we go? If we want true pleasure and true freedom and true meaning and satisfaction and motivation and all the good things of God's awesome way, where else can we go? I encourage you to think about this seriously and ask God to get you to the place where you are willing and able to make that leap of surrender. Yes, it's a scary leap. Yes, it's a leap of faith but it is a leap that God can, can work in you to, to make and to relish it. If you are surrendered, if you are enjoying this, this joyful, pleasurable, meaningful life, then share it. Tell everybody you can about the blessings, the pleasures, the joys of giving yourself wholly to Christ because this is the message that we need to hear. We need people to understand how wonderful Jesus is and how wonderful his power is and how much of a joy it is to die in his arms. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much, so much, Father, for the privilege of giving ourselves wholly to you. What a joy. What incredible peace. What pleasure you give us. Father, thank you so much for the power of transformation the supernatural power of transformation that you are ready and willing to work in each one of our hearts if we will let you. Father, I pray that for each person in this room today, that we will open ourselves up to you and let you be almighty God in us as we have never done before. May we enjoy you to the fullest. 
I pray for these things. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.